Since iTunes only keeps the last 100 episodes of any show, some of our show topics that seem to help the most people are no longer available when people search on iTunes. So, in an effort to make that information available to more people, from time to time we're going to re-air some of our most popular show topics. You can also go to kickitnaturally.com and search for any topic in our search box. For now, enjoy this show that originally aired in 2014. T.C. Hill is not a doctor and does not claim to be a doctor or licensed in any type of medical field. Don't be an idiot and use anything heard on the show as medical advice. This information should be used for educational purposes only and you should contact your doctor for any medical advice. Now get off me. Welcome to Kick It Naturally. I'm Kenna McEnroe and I'm here with T.C. Hill, author, natural health expert, producer, extraordinaire. We also have Will Hottie Patati Schmidt coming to us. We're from the Bay Area. I'm actually really not here, so uh, the show's probably not going to be that great today. This was pre-recorded, um, so I'm sorry if you have to sit through all this without me. Thank you, Kenna, even though you're not here today. We're not even sure where you are. Uh, Will, do you want to be Kenna? Okay. So just you'll have to talk about porn some, and you'll probably have to cuss, and then we'll bleep it out. Sure. Can so, can I pretend to have diarrhea? Yeah, you can do that. We'll definitely talk about <laughs> your diarrhea. And maybe you can tell us about some actual experiences that you had maybe on the subway when it just yeah. it happened or something like that. Awkward this is Kenna talking, right? Roaches and things like that. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll, that'll teach her to be <laughs> scheduled incorrectly Sounds when good. we uh, have you playing her diarrhea part. <laughs> um, so today we're going to talk about enzymes, and this can be a pretty compli- complicated topic. Like we, we've had like a hundred and th- how many shows, Kenna, Nina, hundred and thirty, four hundred and thirty something. I don't know. It's a lot, but we could probably do another hundred and thirty shows just on enzymes if we got into the nitty gritty uh, biology of everything. Which we're not going to do that on this episode. We'll try to talk about some of it, but. Um, most of it you won't be able to apply to your life and the other half of it we don't even know. So just there's a lot of complicated stuff with enzymes, but we'll get into some of the basics. And why don't we just start off with uh, Virginia's question? And that's kind of what spawned this show was Virginia asked some pretty good questions in the in our free support group on Facebook. Um, and so I was like, oh, yeah, we, we talk about enzymes on, on episodes all the time, but we've never really dug into it and what it's all about so let's let's do that okay i'm not going to do kenna's voice oh man that's going to be a problem do her part so virginia from montgomery alabama oh my god have that's a quick tangent have you ever heard the comedian talk about the committee that was put together to make the two-letter uh, abbreviations for all the states <laughs> no, i've never oh, heard it's of gonna that. be easy alabama al bam what's next <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> he ran into that issue like 27 times. Like, oh, Colorado. <laughs> anyway, Alabama. Virginia asks, enzymes. I would like to learn a lot more about them. Food enzymes, digestive enzymes, systemic enzymes, how they help, how much you need, what your body already makes, and what can slow down or even stop your body's natural production thereof. What you have to get from food and whether conventional produce has any enzymes anymore. What you need to get from a bottle and what things we should be looking for and what we should avoid. What conditions can be helped or hurt from lack of enzymes or taking too much enzymes. Can they be pro-anabolic, pro-catabolic, 
whether specific vitamins can make them more or less effective, whether diabetics have any special enzyme needs, things like that. Let's let's also, come, let's come. She had another question after that, but let's talk about some of these initial things up front. And uh, first, if you don't understand, an enzyme is just a, a biologically active protein, and it kind of <laughs> serves as a, as a catalyst. And so there's a kajillion. I think it's a, a kajillion and four functions that happen in the body and a lot of those would happen very slowly over time too slowly for us to live as a functioning human entity Uh, so what enzymes do is they help a lot of those biological reactions happen faster so that's one way to look at enzymes Um, and we're going to talk a lot about digestive enzymes of course because We've mentioned digestion on this show before, right, Will? Yeah, I think yeah. it. I think it came up episode seven or something like that. Nina, we talked about something about digestion. Uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe it was all of the episodes that we mentioned yeah. that. But so we're going to talk about that with digestion, um, with digestive enzymes. But there's a lot of other enzymes in the body that kind of have all kinds of functions. Um, so one way to think about Enzymes is an interesting thing is that we all have enzymes in our tissues. All living things have enzymes in their tissues, and a lot of them are just kind of dormant. And they don't become activated until they leave that life source, so to speak. So Will likes to talk a lot on the show about what happens when people are dead and rigor mortis sets in. So, Mm -hmm. you know, once that person is dead and they have left that life source, a lot of those enzymes become activated and they kind of start to help decompose the body in the same way that like when you pull an apple from the tree all of a sudden a lot of those enzymes are activated and if you sit it on the counter for a few days it starts to get softer and and decompose and and that's those enzymes doing that so what we what how that relates to our digestion is those are the same enzymes that help us break down that food that we eat they would have just broken it down and allowed it to melt back into the earth, so to speak. So you you can see that it has all of these functions. Um, But when we eat that produce, uh, plant, animal, whatever it is, those enzymes that were in there are some of the stuff that help us digest and break down that food so that we can use those elemental nutrients like the amino acids and the vitamins and the minerals and the fats and all that kind of stuff. So we'll get into more detail about a lot of that stuff. But anything that you want to jump off and talk about with enzymes right off just from uh, Virginia's initial long questions? Yeah, um, absolutely. Some of the most important ones related to uh, really critical functions like digestion are to understand that enzymes are – different enzymes are active in different conditions – Sometimes, um, and or pretty much all enzymes are pH sensitive. So, for example, pepsinogen is a molecule that your body makes that's required to help with the breakdown of protein, and it is only activated in an acidic environment. So, your stomach cells make hydrochloric acid, and that is required to activate pepsinogen and turn it into pepsin. And without enough stomach acid, that enzyme, pepsin, won't get to do its job of helping to break down protein. So we oftentimes will see supplements that have pepsin and HCL 
together as a digestive supplement. And that makes sense because of their dual role and how they work together. So those kind of things, understanding like your body's making its own enzymes, uh, they have to have the right conditions in which to be worked. And sometimes things like temperature can damage them, altered pHs can damage or improve their efficacy. And uh, other things can also stimulate our body to make more or less of different enzymes with positive or negative feedback loops. For example, lactose, the sugar found in milk, can stimulate uh, not only our own digestive system but also the flora inside our intestinal tract to make more lactase as a, as a positive feedback loop. When there's lactose around, it will trigger this chain reaction of events that causes the creation of more of the appropriate enzyme. Right. So one of the things Virginia asked was, you know, is there, are there ways that – are there things you could do to reduce – the amount of enzymes that you're making. And, and so, sure, avoiding some foods may reduce the amount that is called upon by the body, so the body would reduce the amount that is made. So that, that is one possibility. Uh, Will was talking about um, how they can be uh, dictated by the pH that they're in and also the temperature. A lot of times when you see somebody that has a base, uh, a body temperature that is lower than normal, Sometimes that restricts the ability for the enzymes to fire correctly. And, you know, that could mean digestive enzymes as well as other enzymes in the body that are carrying out specific functions. So if you can help somebody improve some things uh, and run more correctly, all of a sudden when their temperature is in a, a more balanced area, uh, those enzymes start firing. They feel that they are digesting food better. And, and, and so there's a lot of things that can affect enzymes, but... When we look at uh, how it's not just like you need, quote-unquote, digestive enzyme. That's not just a thing. There's all these different kinds like, you know, lipase helps break down fat, protease for protein, amylase for carbs, like Will was talking about the lactose. You know, there's a lot of different types of enzymes just when you're looking at digestive enzymes. And one thing to think about is that when we process foods... Even if we heat food over 118 degrees, we basically kill all the enzymes that were in whatever that food was. So you can see how the way that we eat now, not a lot of us eat a lot of raw food. Um, so you're not getting the enzymes you need to digest that food, and that leaves your body to have to work harder to try because your body still needs the nutrients from whatever you just ate. It's not just gonna. It's not gonna be happy with just the sandwich. It wants all the stuff within that sandwich, all the minerals, all the amino acids. So it has to be able to break that down. So if enzymes are not there to help pr that process along, your body has to work harder. And another problem that can exist is your body will pull enzymes from other areas that were going to be used for other functions and turn those into digestive enzymes just to help digestion. And then other areas of the body can be. Uh, kind of put on hold, so to speak. Yeah, and I think it's it's also important to point out sometimes that while certain enzymes are destroyed by cooking, cooking food can also help facilitate digestion in other respects. And just consider, for example, a potato or even a sweet potato. In a raw form, the starch and structure of the molecules that make up the starch inside the potato or sweet potato are 
organized and structured in a way that's really, really hard for us to digest. But heating it, cooking it, breaks down that molecule into simpler orientations that's easier for our digestive system to access. So it's, I think it's sometimes, and I, I was subject to this misthinking for a while, uh, it's sometimes taught that raw food is always better and easier to digest than cooked food. And that is, it's kind of obviously not the case with something like a potato, but it's also often the case in other foods too that um, that we do better when we cook. Like for a lot of people, broccoli, for example, sometimes even apples, when we cook them, it alters the structure of the starches and makes it more accessible. Right, and, and that's a great point just to make sure that people don't think we're saying that you should eat raw, all raw food. I don't, I never say that to anybody. Let's just pretend I didn't even bring that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. just to be safe. Um, but that's that's what you see a lot of people making. And Virginia even uh, asked the question here. You know, does our produce have uh, fewer enzymes than it did before? And um, I don't know that they're gone, but I have heard a number of people pointing to some studies that could indicate that the level of enzymes in our produce is is lower than it was, just like the level of minerals in those enzymes is lower because of the way that the, that we farm. We farm incorrectly, and we do a lot of damage by not helping the plant grow the way that it should. We help it grow fast and big and pretty so that it sells, but that doesn't mean that it's as nutritious as it used to be. So that could be something to think about, you know, most people, if, you, if you're eating half-cooked, half-raw food, um, are usually doing pretty well. But if you're considering the fact that does this produce have the level of enzyme activity that it used to 30 years ago, then it is another thing to consider. And it, and it might be another reason to uh, supplement with some digestive enzymes, which we'll talk about that a lot in this episode. Yeah, and we, I think we, we've had a full episode, or at least significant portions of other episodes where we talked about nutrient density and foods diminishing over time. One quick thing to point out is that some studies have shown, like I'm looking at one right now in Scientific American that cited that certain vegetables supply more antioxidants like carotenoids and ascorbic acid and polyphenols. They're more available when those foods are cooked, like carrots, spinach, mushrooms, asparagus, cabbage, peppers. All those end up being actually more nutritious than uh, they would be when they're raw. So that's one thing. Like even if the enzymes are damaged, like our body's own enzymes and nutrient absorption is improved when we cook certain foods. So not to dwell on that point too long, but um, it's just it's not the case that raw is always better, and it's not the case that we have to have the uh, the enzymes embedded in the plant to be able to digest a food. Because even if we cook it, and it um, theoretically damages the enzymes therein, it doesn't necessarily destroy or damage the other nutrients that we want from the food. Um, but the other big point that you reminded me of is that nutrient density has diminished a ton in modern uh, agricultural or industrial agriculture. And that's also the case even in many organic crops. We talked about, um, I've seen a lot of people cite like, hey, they did these studies and it showed that conventional and organic crops are pretty much equal nutrient-wise. And like there's this little edge that, okay, well, at least organic doesn't have a bunch of pesticides or herbicides. And that's huge, hugely important and reason enough alone to choose organic. 
But the fact that nutrient density in many organic foods is not all that better <clears throat> doesn't mean that our nutrition quality in our foods overall has, um, hasn't diminished. It definitely has because of the poor quality of the soil. And we can get around that through sustainable agricultural practices that we talked about before when we mentioned gram sate and um, caring for the humus and mineral density and biological activity in the soil. When foods are grown with those sort of sustainable agricultural practices that um, our friend Graham Sate talked about, then the nutrient density and um, just nutritional value of the food goes skyrocketing way, way higher. Right. And, and one thing to think about, and this is just a, a theory that happens in my brain. I don't have any facts about this, but I, I do know that when mineral is low in the system, it can restrict the ability for some of the enzymes in the body to fire correctly. Um, so if mineral in the soil is low as well, I, I assume that that could also have an effect in the level of the enzymes in that plant that is growing. And uh, I've never seen any study that, that even looked at this, but it's something that could make sense if that's a situation. Another thing that Will said is, you know, um, a thing to think about is that if you eat an apple and that apple has enzymes in there to help you digest that apple, that doesn't mean that every, every enzyme in that apple is going to be used to digest that apple. Uh, your body will use some of those enzymes to break down that food, and other enzymes in that food will be used by other things in the body or could be called upon by the body at a later time uh, to digest uh, another food. So it, it's not just a fact of, okay, I have to eat this, so I need this amount of en enzymes. It's a lot more complicated than that. So I don't want you guys to be counting the enzymes that you're taking according to the food that you're taking in. You don't want to be that complicated. And I just kind of pictured that, that question coming. If you want to learn how to look at your own chemistry to get a better idea of how your unique body is operating, sign up for our KIY or Kick It Yourself membership. Not only do you gain access to our four-week digestion course and our 12-week flagship Kick Your Fat course that normally sells for $129, you also get free shipping at naturalreference.com. Restrictions apply, but since the membership is only $9 a month, it can pay for itself. You'll also have access to a reference system like you've never seen before and a members-only private support group where you can get feedback from coaches I've trained and I even show up to do live Q&A videos on a monthly basis. To see more features and sign up, go to kickitnaturally.com forward slash K-I-Y. That's K-I-Y. Sure. And also, we got to remember that plants, like humans, are complex, multicellular organisms that make enzymes for all sorts of reasons. They don't just make enzymes to help us digest them. Like they make enzymes to live their life, to grow, to defend themselves against invaders, to reproduce, all these different enzymes. Just like humans, have, we don't just have digestive enzymes. We have a ton of different things that we do. And with that, certain enzymes in plants can be heightened like we talked about the other day when we were looking at allergens um, and antigens inside stressed plants, like plants that are exposed to a lot of pesticides and herbicides and grown in mineral deficient soils without the assistance of the microbiota in the soil that should be there. They have heightened uh, antigens or uh, those are things, molecules that trigger immune responses because their immune systems are super heightened and they're fighting off all these pests all the time and chemical agents that, uh, that it's causing them to react in a stress state. So people end up having more food sensitivities because the 
plants are in this stress state where they're creating more um, poisons to defend themselves. So that's another type of enzyme that isn't necessarily great to have in our food and it's typically lower in antigens or things that can cause allergies. Uh, in plants that are grown in healthier soils with less chemical exposure. Less less frankenfood, more good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go back a little bit and talk a little bit more about the digestive process and how enzymes work in that. You talked about how in the stomach, when the stomach makes HCL, that that activates the pepsin, and, and that's an enzyme that functions in the stomach. But a lot of other enzymes that come into the system are not activated in that acidic environment and they don't get activated until they move out of the stomach and then the pancreas um, releases enzymes, the pancreatic enzymes from the pancreas and then as they hit that bicarb, which is very alkaline, that's when they become activated. So they're not activated inside the pancreas or they would be digesting the pancreas. That wouldn't be good. So it happens afterwards. And um, so a lot of the ac- the enzymatic activity for digestion happens in the small intestine. Now, the initial enzymes take place in our saliva. As soon as we start chewing, uh, there's uh, enzymes, amylase and such, that start to break down carbohydrates in your mouth. So you can see that different enzymes are going to function in different areas and different pHs and different temperatures. Um but they're all important to help with fully pull the nutrients out of that food to basically allow everything to mix with water. That's what this is all about. Our body is like such an aqueous system. So much of it is water that you need the water to everything to function correctly, but you need things to be able to mix with that water as well. And that's what enzymes are helping do is, you know, uh, HCL helps to break down protein and pepsin. But then uh, these enzymes help to further break down at the molecular level so that we can use all of those little micronutrients and such. Mm-hmm. Um, it would, do you think it would be helpful if I talk through a little flow chart of what, um, what different foods are broken down at what points in the digestive system? Yeah, let's look at that real quick. Cool. So we got a little flow chart from Biology 101. And uh, at the start... Um, the first thing that gets digested is in your mouth, actually, carbohydrates start to get broken out. <laughs> I'm going to choke and die. It's only Jeez. going to take a minute. Get that man some mess <laughs> done. Oh. You all right there? Yeah, wrong pipe. Water, wrong yeah. pipe. Should have some anti-cough enzymes. <clears throat> so, so we got saliva. Uh, helps start the process of digestion with, saliv- with salivary amylase, which is a type of enzyme that breaks down different types of sugars. Then when we swallow the food and it hits our stomach, that's where protein starts to get broken down by the enzyme pepsin, which is dependent, as we talked about earlier, on hydrochloric acid or stomach acid. Without enough stomach acid, pepsin won't get to be active and you won't digest your protein effectively. Then once the food leaves the stomach, so we haven't digested any fat at all yet. It doesn't get to your stomach or it doesn't happen until the bolus or the food that's in your stomach leaves the stomach and goes into the small intestine. And that's where everything gets cracking. And it largely uh, happens with the help of a lot of uh, pancreatic enzymes. So in the small intestine, we see the beginning of the digestion of fat and further digestion of 
carbohydrates and proteins through a bunch of different enzymes. Then fat is actually absorbed in a different pathway because it's not water soluble. Uh, it's absorbed through actually this like <clears throat> different little special cells designed for it in part of the lymphatic system. And then the food, uh, most of the enzymes kind of get further acted on. And then once it gets past the small intestine and hits the large intestine, then there's a there's some further fermentation that can happen with uh, the microbiology, the fluoride present. But most of what's happening in the large intestine is reabsorption of water and bile salts, and the food is then uh, processed out the rear door for that's poop, poop. Yeah. So yeah, most yeah, of the digestion. Really, really happens, and absorption happens in the small intestine. And let's go back up to when the food is leaving the stomach and those pancreatic enzymes come down, because that's also when the bile is dropped on there, and all those things help neutralize that acid. And there are a lot of people that feel that when the bile is thick and sticky and not flowing correctly, like we talk about all the time, and we help people take steps to improve that situation all the time, but... Uh, a lot of people feel that when the bile is not flowing correctly, not only is that not helping your digest your food correctly, but it also restricts the abilities for those the, the pancreas to drop the enzymes down with the bicarb. And so you're not getting a lot of those enzymes either. So a lot of people uh, have uh, the thought that if you can improve bile flow, that that will help all of those enzymes flow correctly too and improve digestion in that way as well. You know, before we always felt like, you know, as you age, your ability to produce enzymes diminishes and you should be supplementing. But now I kind of feel like there are a lot more factors to it than just age. And this restricting bile flow could be a huge factor with that and why we see people uh, do so much better in so many ways once they improve that bile flow. Yeah. And I mean, by definition, we don't normally classify bile as an enzyme, I don't think, but we can look at it as having like the functional role of an enzyme in that it facilitates a process and helps a process happen faster or more completely than it would otherwise. And it totally does that as a detergent. It does. It's like a soap that can help. It literally is a soap. And it helps break up the big goblet droplets of uh, fat molecules that are present in the food that you eat. And it creates more surface area by spreading out those droplets to allow the enzymes to then work on it. So with more exposure of the droplets of fat, and they're beaded out into smaller little beads so more enzymes can act on them. And that really facilitates fat metabolism. So... Without bile flowing well, the enzymes that are present are going to have a harder time really getting at the different fat molecules and fat droplets that you ingest. All right. So let's cover a couple more of these Virginia's questions. And a few of them we're going to get into more detail probably next week because we're not going to finish all this. There's no way. We still have a lot of questions from other people too. But uh, one interesting thing that Virginia asks is, are there some that are pro-anabolic or pro-catabolic? And if you don't know what we're talking about, um, we talk a lot about, about an anabolic-catabolic imbalance in the body that can create a lot of problems because we're all meant to be in a catabolic state uh, at the cellular level during the day and then a more anabolic state at night where we rebuild and repair everything at the cellular and tissue level. Um, so uh, she's asking if there are enzymes that are more pro-catabolic and more pro-anabolic. 
And I don't really know that there are, but I do know that if someone is overly pro or, or, or overly catabolic where their body is kind of always in this tissue breakdown stage, you wouldn't want to supplement with a lot of like pancreatic or proteolytic enzymes that are going to help break down protein more effectively. Uh, you don't want to boost something that's already happening at a rate that is not beneficial for the person. Yeah, absolutely. And when we look at like what enzymes are catabolic or anabolic, we don't want to get too stuck in like the minutia where certain enzymes like pepsin, that's a catabolic enzyme that's breaking down protein, but it's breaking down the protein that you're eating, which then helps you build up your body, which is an anabolic process. So we want to look at like what is your what is the net result as far as what we're concerned about with the imbalance that we classify as catabolic or anabolic. So lots of enzymes help you break down nutrients, which is a catabolic activity, but they can go towards nourishing your body and building up your body. And enzymes are every part of that process on both sides of that. So yes, there are some enzymes that play a role in helping other, uh, helping your cells renew and regenerate and multiply. And then there's also enzymes that help your body break down dead cells and uh, and clear out waste. So within like within these organelles, which are these tiny little machines inside of cells, there's lysosomes, and they contain enzymes that break down waste products and kill pathogens and invaders and things like that. So you've got a lot of you've got an enzyme for every purpose under the sun. Right. And let's let's pause for a second to let Kenna tell us about something, even though she's not here. If you like audiobooks, you're going to love our sponsor. Audible.com is giving all of our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day membership. Go to kickitinthenuts.com forward slash audiobook to find the link so you guys can get yours. The free book that Kenna got was How to Sound Like an Announcer. That's right. Is it Wouldn't working? It? Uh -huh, it's right. working. Cool. cool. And one thing I'll, I'll note that we teach in our coach course is that you know, when you're supplementing with enzymes for the digestive purpose, we're going to talk about some other purposes like some systemic enzymes and, and roles that they can play in supplementing that way uh, probably next week when we get to those questions. But um, when you're supplementing with enzymes, there's a lot of enzyme companies out there that teach just, you know, take piles, take one fistful of enzymes and then later take another fistful. And a lot of people that promote very uh, high doses of enzymes. And we kind of feel like that it, it works best to supplement with enough enzymes to digest what you're eating and not a whole lot more because people that are leaning towards that breakdown phase, you don't want to over-facilitate that. So uh, we find that you know most enzymes, one or two capsules per meal is going to be plenty, don't you think, Will, when you're looking at just the digestive end of things? Yeah, absolutely. And then we also can think about if the overall system, digestive system is healthy and they have a good healthy gut flora, those flora are also going to be contributing enzymes that help further with breakdown of nutrients. So the um, when, you're, when your stomach acid is on point and you have good bioflow and good pancreatic function and you're eating foods that are free of problematic fibers and occasional probiotics, your 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 baseline of digestion is going to probably go pretty well, and it's not critical to always need to take external enzymes to break foods down. Even if you're eating a cooked uh, diet, 
but it, they, they can help. It can definitely facilitate the process. So if you're struggling and digestion is an issue, uh, digestive enzymes are a pretty great thing to include for at least for a while until you fix whatever issues you're dealing with. Right. I also kind of assume that that's why so many people feel so much better when they first start improving digestion and they start with digestive enzymes. But once they get bile flowing better and the pancreas is allowed to operate uh, the way that it should and everything is flowing the way that it should in the small intestine and the, the pH is the, the correct pH for those enzymes to function, when all those things are happening, I think a person can reduce the amount of digestive uh, supplemental enzymes that they use at that point. Yeah, it's a really good point you make where uh, the pHs of the, of the system, when they're at the ranges they're supposed to be in the different segments of digestion, the enzymes that you have and, and are making will all of a sudden be effective. So you might find like, oh, it really helped when I took that pepsin with the HCL. And you might, you might have been making sufficient pepsin in your own stomach, but all of a sudden you took HCL and now you have the right pH and boom, things are working well. Same right. thing with the small intestine where most of the enzymatic activity of digestion occurs. When you get that balanced and you clear out pathogenic bacteria and you have the right uh, bile and bicarbonate flowing into the zone, then all of a sudden the enzymes that are being made and secreted can now all of a sudden be effective. Let's 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 say a note about pepsin too, because we're talking about that a lot in this show, and uh, some of our book readers, or course, students might be saying, "Hey, what what's the deal with the pepsin? I thought you said not to, to get something without pepsin." So, what happens is. Um, when we teach someone how to use HCL as supplementation, we usually teach them how to ramp that dose up, uh, start with one and, and ramp that up to five capsules per meal if everything is going well. Um, but there's nothing wrong with supplementing with pepsin, like an HCL capsule with pepsin in it, because the, the pepsin can be effective in the stomach. The problem is when a person needs to ramp up to that dose of five capsules per meal, if the capsules they're using also contain pepsin, a lot of times that's too much pepsin and it'll end up causing some digestive distress and uh, it'll just be uncomfortable for the person. So when we recommend people uh, buying HCL, that they find a capsule that just has HCL in it without the pepsin, um, just because most people don't need to add pepsin, they just need to make the stomach acidic enough to allow that pepsin to function correctly. Um, so that's the only reason that we tell people to, to not to get something without pepsin in it, just because if they're going to ramp up, it's going to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, if you don't have anything to add to that, Will, let's, let's hit Virginia's last point here, and then we'll have to cover these other questions next week. But her last point is, is she wants to know whether diabetics have a special enzyme needs mm -hmm. um, or if there's some that they should or should not use, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe you'll have some points to add to this, Will. But, you know, one thing that I like to think about is that most people, especially type 2 diabetics, are not processing glucose correctly. Um, and that's why the glucose is accumulating in the bloodstream, a la peanut butter sandwiches, you're diabetic. So when that's the case, it's often... Not always, but often because that person was pushed towards consuming a lot of carbs because digestion was not functioning in a way that allowed them to break down proteins properly or emulsify fats and use that 
those nutrients as well. So if you eat those foods and you can't really process them, you might find that you process carbs better and you can use that as fuel. And so the body starts pushing the person towards consuming too many carbohydrates and then insulin is high all the time and then it becomes less effective and that's a whole thing. So in that respect, I like to see type 2 diabetics start to use at least a broad-based digestive enzyme as they work to improve digestion just so they can start getting nutrients out of other types of foods and reducing their craving for those carbs. Mm-hmm. You want me to... Yeah, do you have anything else to talk, think about on, I, as far as enzymes with diabetics? I, I concur. I, I, also, um, I also think that there's a lot of things that they need to take on. We have a couple, I think a couple episodes on uh, diabetes and how... One you know what? I realized the other day that we don't. We don't. <laughs> we don't. We haven't had a diabetes episode yet. Did we have a sugar? Ep- we had a sugar episode. We had right? a cravings episode that we talked about a lot. I, I don't can't know believe the... we haven't covered diabetes. I know. So in Sorry. addition to overexposures, as you just mentioned, Tony, like overexposure, long-term exposure to elevated insulin levels, a lot of the times there's problems with the bare mechanism of being able to use any sugar at all, even like. A small amount, and right. that's uh, what we call like insulin resistance. And what's usually not pointed out a lot of the time is that um, people on no sugar Atkins diets trying to fix diabetes will oftentimes wake up with super high blood sugar levels, even though they've been on a ketogenic diet for a while. Right, they're eating no sugar or no carbs zero. at all, but zero. still their blood sugar is higher than it was yesterday. Right, and they're not even eating protein that could be converted into sugar. It's like, so how is it happening? And they're they're creating sugar that their cells are not good at using anymore. So their own body's proteins are being broken down and turned into glucose to try to feed the cells fuel. And the fuel is getting stopped from being metabolized effectively. And a lot of the times, like our my, one of you know our favorite thinkers Ray Pete has talked about, is because the cell's engine or metabolic process in which it uses glucose is being hampered or impaired by something like too many polyunsaturated fats in the tissues or elevated estrogen or elevated cortisol or damage to the mitochondria. So all those different things can also be contributing to things like that chronically elevated blood sugar. Um, But the different enzymes that help digestion in general, as well as cutting out the foods that are really getting in the way of the cells being able to use glucose, are, those are really critical things to do if you're in that situation. Right. So but so enzymes are not the way to fix diabetes. That's not what I'm saying. But since there is so many factors that need to happen and, and, and the person usually has to make some pretty drastic changes to the way that they're eating in, in order to improve that situation. So in that effort, I like to see them maximize anything that they can do to improve digestion just to be able to start trying to get some nutrients from other macronutrients besides uh, trying to get them all from carbs. So that's one way to look at that With uh, when you're looking at diabetes. There are other people out there that are using even systemic um, enzymes to treat diabetes, but I don't know enough about that to really comment. I haven't seen enough success with that to even look into that further. Um, so that's not something that I, I would definitely not want to get into and try and uh, theorize as far as that goes. 
Okay, so what we want to do is, uh, oh, the other point I wanted to make was, you know, sometimes when something in the body is not working as well, like an ability to process glucose or something like that, um, sometimes just boosting anything you can with enzymes can be beneficial. Like if someone does not have their gallbladder and they don't have the ability to process fats because bile is not there available when they digest their food, then using uh, lipase enzymes can help them process fats a little bit better. So uh, sometimes we'll use this enzyme called PNL enzyme that helps you break down protein and fats better uh, for people that have lost their gallbladder and they seem to uh, be able to deal and, and, and use fats a little bit better than they could before. So that's not fixing the fact that they don't have their gallbladder, but it's just something that they can put in their favor. And sometimes when you can put anything in your favor, it can at least improve some situations. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's wrap this up. And we have a bunch more questions that we're going to handle next week. And we're going to talk about some of the enzymes that we use and different purposes that they can be used for. We're going to talk about systemic enzymes and uh, some of the things that um, that they can improve as far as health goes too. And, and all kinds of crazy stuff. It's going to be craziness. And uh, I don't think Ken is going to be here because she, she, she's going to be hiding again. But we'll find out where she is and... And uh, maybe we'll buy her a fruit basket, different kind of basket. I don't know. We'll figure it out. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Have a good one. If you want to learn more about how to look at your own chemistry, you can read any of Tony's books or take the almost free four-week digestion course at kickitnaturally.com or head on over to Will Schmidt's mybodyofknowledge.net. He's got some great exercise videos up and some stretches and articles and some yummy pictures of himself. So check it out.